<clears throat> hey, there was a bus driver and a pastor that happened to die on the same day. And uh, so the, they approached the pearly gates and there was uh, St. Peter at the gate waiting for them. And, and so the bus driver was in front of the minister and the bus, and Peter said, hey, uh, I understand that you were a bus driver. He said, I was. And, and you took kids around and you bu- bust them everywhere and you're friendly. I was. Well, have I got a place for you? Look up on that hill there. See that hill? Right on top, see that house there? That mansion is specifically designed for you. And so the bus driver went, yeah! And so the pastor, you know, he stood up straighter and he thought, oh man, if a bus driver got that that house, I wonder what my house is going to look like. And he was so excited. So Peter said, hey, I understand you're a pastor. He said, I was, I was. Well, here, I got a specially designed house for you. Look down in the valley there. See that? You, you got that shack down there? That's yours. The pastor said, what? A shack? Well, the bus driver, he got this mansion on the hill. Why did I get a lousy shack? He said, well, you got to understand, when you preached, people slept. When the bus driver drove, people prayed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So don't think I'm not looking out here, huh? I want more than a shack in heaven. Hey, uh, we're going to talk about prayer. Um, Elijah's prayer is found in 1 Kings 18, the great showdown. And starting in verse 19, if you have your Bibles, or you can look up on the the screen here too. If you have your Bibles, it's starting in verse 19, where Elijah called the 450 prophets together. We'll read about that a little bit later. Um, And uh, he said, the the prophets of Baal, you know, if this is your God, then so be it. But I proclaim another God the one true God of Israel. And so uh, they prepared bulls. They prepared their altars to sacrifice to their God. And this is what happened in verse 24. Then Elijah said, Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. Not only were the 450 prophets bailed there, but the entire nation of Israel had gathered there in the valley to watch this great showdown uh, between one lone prophet of God, Elijah, and 450 false prophets of Baal. And so uh, the people wanted to know which God is the more powerful one. We need to know. They were desperate to know because their nation was in crisis. Uh, they had gone three and a half years without rain. Therefore, the crops are drying up. They were hungry. Uh, they, they needed to know what God would provide for them. It would be like walking into Dillon's for us today and seeing a store filled with empty shelves with just a few items on the shelves. But they were, they were priced you know, extravagantly so much so we, no one could afford them. And so we'd be desperate to know what God could help us. What's the real God? Was it Baal, the god of storms and rain and lightning and thunder and fire? Or was it Yahweh? The Baal prophets say, surely our God will save us. If, if you want fire to come down and consume this, this altar or, or this uh, sacrifice, then of course Baal will be our guy because he's the god of fire and storms and lightning and thunder. Or is it Yahweh, the god of Israel? Or perhaps today we think, you know, there's really just one God. You could call him whatever you want. You can call him Buddha. You can call him Baal. You can call him Yahweh, Jehovah. You can call him Molech or Allah. You can call him energy or reason. 
You could call him the God, God within us, like the New Agers proclaim. But Elijah said, no, there's only one true God, the God of Israel. His name is the Lord. The Lord. And if you notice, I'm not sure on the verse. Uh, in, in my Bible, the Lord Almighty, L-O-R-D, is capitalized. In, in, in many translations, the Lord is capitalized. L-O-R-D, all letters are capitalized. Because it refers to the name Yahweh in Hebrew, or, or Jehovah is what we might pronounce it. But Yahweh was a name that the Jews would not pronounce because that name of God was so holy, they wouldn't dare pronounce it out loud. And so they came to substitute Lord to mean Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. It's the personal name of the God of Israel, meaning he brings into existence whatever exists, this Yahweh. He is the only self-existent and self-sufficient being to ever be alive. Self-existent for, for eternity. Isaiah would, um, would write, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. The prophets of Baal claimed that Baal was God, and so they agreed to Elijah's prayer contest, his challenge, this fire challenge. So what happens when people pray? We're going to see what happened when Elijah prayed and how it applies to our lives. First, God exposes the lies that we believe. In verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bowls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire underneath it. So they took the bowl given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. And there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. And if you look up this busy, it interestingly means he's relieving himself. Or perhaps he is traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesied until the time for the evening sacrifice. And there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Can you imagine how desperate they were? These prophets of Baal... They called on the name of their God. They slashed themselves. They danced from morning to evening. They began to prophesy in, this, in these erratic, frantic utterances, uh, but not a word from Baal, not a single peep from Baal. Apparently, there was a one true God who was silencing the evil spirits behind these Baal worshipers. So not even one of these demonic spirits could come and light a tiny little fire for them because the, the one true God had silenced them, had, had gagged them. During my sabbatical, God revealed some lies that I had believed um, in. And some were specific, but the, in general, the lies were lies that we all believe, that there are things of this world that can satisfy us and fulfill us and cause us happiness and security. Um, rather than God. 
And so we place these things above God. And how do we know that? Well, if we look at our bank account or our calendar, then that's a good clue, oftentimes, how we use our time and our resources. We, we put things above God because we think by pursuing them, they will, they will grant us happiness. And so I was pursuing things, even as a pastor, like, you know, entertainment and uh, the good food out there. None of these things were sinful in and of themselves, but I had replaced God, seeking after God with seeking after these things to make me happy. I didn't know it until I was on my sabbatical, and, and I fell into a mini-crisis of my own where I didn't want to be around people, and I was just burned out, and I was uh, anxious, and uh, I so tired, and God seemed very silent. And you've heard, heard about that. But then God began to reveal to me that all of these things that I was looking for for pleasure and security and prosperity, all of these things meant nothing to me when I was in crisis. Not a thing. You know, I didn't want to watch TV. I didn't want to go out to eat. I didn't want to be around people. Nothing mattered. The only thing that could be helpful was seeking after God during this time. I was desperate for God. I remember on several occasions, also as a youth pastor, when I was in Indiana, I would pray with parents of students who were pursuing the things of the world and they were making poor choices. And I recall several times when students got caught after these prayer, prayer times with parents. Not like Soon afterwards, they would get caught doing things. And uh, they were exposed for the lies that they were living. Like, I remember one guy got pulled over for drunk driving. Another one got caught at a party for underage drinking and he got in massive trouble. Another one got into sexual promiscuity and got caught. And just lies and, and such. And I just remember, wow, God, you are so faithful. You are so faithful to answer these prayers so quickly. Because what happened then was these students were broken. And then they began to consider God. There's a quote that says, God loves us just as we are, but too much to let us stay that way. And so God thwarts the schemes of the crafty, Job says, so that the hand, their hands find no success. Psalm 33, the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. And then Hebrews, God disciplines those he loves. Why? so that he might grab our attention, that we might turn back to him, expose the lies and reveal the truth. When God's people pray, he exposes lies. Secondly, when, when we pray, God reveals his sovereignty. God had prepared this sacrifice and even had the people um, drench the sacrifice with four 20-gallon jars of water. So that not only drenched the sacrifice, but it spilled into the trenches that were dug around the altar. And I got thinking, what? Was Elijah just being cocky? Hey, put water on this. We'll show you. I don't think so. Uh, I think, first of all, it could have been a drink sacrifice, a drink offering, such as the one in Genesis when Jacob set up a pillar in the place where God had spoken to him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. So Scripture tells us about drink offerings. So Elijah may have been doing that. But I, I think more so... He wanted to reveal God's sovereignty, that nothing can stop God's appearance. In verse 36, at the time of sacrifice in the evening, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, right? Immediately following that prayer, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. This was no ordinary fire. I mean, if you light a fire in your backyard um, fire pit, it's not going to burn up the rocks and the soil or water that happens to be in, in, but this fire of God came down and, I mean, it was some fire. What an answer to prayer. I I just wonder if we've ever prayed for something really specific and God answered in a supernatural way like that. For some of us, yes. For many of us, maybe not. But we can all testify to God's answered prayer in our lives. In fact, if I were to stop the sermon and just have an open mic right here and have whoever wants to come up and share, this is how God answered my prayer in the past. I think we'd be here all day and all night long hearing how God has been faithful in your life, in your past. And when we put all of these faithful um, answers to prayer together, then we would have to declare as a church, surely, Lord, you are God. Surely, Lord, you are God. Warren Wiersbe said, when God's people pray, his reputation is at stake. The way he takes care of his children is a witness to the world that he can be trusted. It reminded me of um, a professor who used to go up on the porch of his neighbor who's unbelievers say, hey, do you mind if I offer a front porch prayer for you? Sure. Or if he was in the department store, hey, do you, do you mind if I offer the department prayer for you? Whatever, he's on the sidewalk. Someone said, man, life is tough. Hey, do you mind if I offer up a sidewalk prayer for you? And so it was less threatening when he named it like these things for some reason. They were all the same prayers, but he just gave a name to it. And when he did, God would always show up when he prayed specifically for a good night's sleep for someone who was unable to sleep for days on end. Then lo and behold, they fell asleep that night. And uh, he said, God's always faithful. God confirms, uh, he reveals his sovereignty when we pray. Thirdly, God confirms our witness. In verse 36, Elijah prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. He confirms our witness to the world. Elijah invited the people of Israel. First thing he did was, come on up close. Come on up. up, Gather around. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. He said in verse 30, come here to me. And they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah wanted them to see that he as a prophet was a legitimate prophet of God. Not for his own ego, but for the glory of God. What I teach you is God's word. It's the truth. God makes himself known through the Bible. In fact, we are the only Bible that many people will ever read on this earth. They won't crack open the good book, but they will be looking at us. 
Not long ago, last year, I was at Walmart parking lot, and I was sitting in my car, and I noticed two uh, high school girls who I know to be Christians don't attend this church, but uh, I, I knew that they were, they were believers in, in Christ. And so I, I saw them get out of their car. I was sitting in the car listening to a radio thing. And uh, I noticed that as they're making a beeline for Walmart entrance, uh, they noticed a, a senior adult woman who had just emptied all her groceries out. And so they stopped, they turned, they walked over, grabbed this, they nodded, and then they took it to the cart, you know, where they put it in the, in the cart holder there, and they continued on their way. Nothing, nothing to it. It was nothing to it. They didn't think anything of it, but it left a huge impact on my life. Every time I see these girls now, I think of what they did. Teenage girls. Who would do that other than Christ followers? I thought to myself. Um, and, and I really think that people are watching us. I also have observed the opposite from Christians. And I've been... Um, amidst people like this yelling in the stands and yelling at the refs and rah, rah, screaming and demeaning others in public. And, you know, we all have seen people demeaned on Facebook and, and that from many Christians, you know. And it's just really, ugh, it just leaves a knot in my stomach. It leaves a powerful impression on my life as well. People are observing us closely. They're watching our actions. They are... Um, listening to our words. They're checking out our attitudes and um, they want to see if what we proclaim and, and what we stand for is legitimate. This is what P Pastor Jeremy spoke about last week. And occasionally, should we blow it and we all do blow it, then they're, they're looking to see if we're humble enough to admit that we made a mistake and that we'd be the first one to apologize rather than justify our actions. Um, people say, what you do, speak so loudly, I can't hear what you say. God confirms our witness when we are people of prayer. Um, and then, fourthly, God changes hearts when we pray. In 39, when all the people saw this, this fire fall down from heaven, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It brought the nation back to the one true God of Israel, Yahweh. I remember um, when at our last church we used to have Bringing My World to Christ. We now have the BLESS acronym that we use here, but back in the day it was Bringing My World to Christ, same principle, where every year we'd pray for co-workers and neighbors and family members who weren't saved and, or who we desired to see come to the Lord in some way. And so we put their names on that half of the sheet. We tore it off and... Um, I don't know. And so, anyway, we prayed for them, and we passed in a little bookmark with the names, a uh, copy of it in the offering plate, and then we took the other at home and put it on a refrigerator in our Bible, and we prayed for them all year long. I remember writing down three or four names, neighbors, um, and uh, some friends and such, and uh, one guy came to mind, you know, a, a neighbor across the street who was a sing single dad. He had an alcohol problem. He had two young boys. And I didn't really know him too well, but I thought, oh, I'll put his name down, pray for him. i got to tell you, I was not that faithful in praying for him all year long. I was very sporadic and uh, pretty unfaithful. But I, occasionally I'd pray for him, but really not, not too intensely. An entire year went by, and we were doing this again, and I felt ashamed because I had been so unfaithful with the bookmark in my Bible, with these names. 
and I felt guilty. I felt convicted. I, I repented. And as I was sitting there, and as we're right about to introduce this again, um, I looked over, and ah, there was my neighbor, who I was supposed to be praying for all year long, with his two young boys. First time he'd ever come to our church on the very day a year later. And I had to conclude, man, God, you are so faithful to hear my prayers even when they're um, sporadic and random. You are so faithful, Lord. And, and God revealed to me how powerful prayer was at that time. I got to know this guy and his sons. His sons played soccer with my son. And, um, and, uh, and there, I won't tell you the rest of the history of that relationship, but God did good things. God changes hearts when we pray. Don't lose heart. And then finally, God provides, God provides for us, his, his children. He provides in many ways. He provides unity. We all long for peace and unity in our relationships. We all want our families to be intact and, and our children and our parents and co-workers. We want our church to be unified rather than split. Um, at the state fair, we observed, um, Lynn and I observed kids walking around with their family and they're having fun and it was unity and it was just touched our hearts. We all like that. And that is why in verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones, one from each one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Your name shall be Israel. That's why Elijah built the altar with 12 stones, because he knew it was dear to God's heart that these 12 tribes of Israel would remain together intact. But at this time, 10 tribes had split from two tribes. So 10 tribes were in the north called Israel and two tribes in the south called Judah, where Jerusalem is. They were in civil war. And they began to war against each other through the years and even hate each other. And it broke God's heart because of this division. That's what Satan does. He divides people. He divides churches and even the kingdom of Israel. And so Elijah, by way of illustration, took 12 stones. And he said, this is what brings joy to the heart of God, unity. Sometimes we divide politically, racially, denominationally. Um, you know, even Chiefs fans ought to be able to respect Bills fans in the future when the Bills beat the Chiefs. You should offer respect to Bills fans. That would be a Christ-like attitude right there. God desires unity and mutual respect. They will know that you are my disciples, as the song goes, by our theology, right? No. They will know that you are Christians by your dress. No, they will know that you are Christians by your political affiliation. That's what it is. They will know that you are Christians by how you worship. No, none of these. They will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, by the way you love one another. And that love word is unconditional love. The type of love God has for us, we extend to others, even those jerks that we don't like. Because it's unconditional love. People are looking at us to see if we are any different from the world. And then God gives us boldness in verse 40. Elijah commanded him, them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And, and then they took them down and slaughtered these prophets of Baal. That's another sermon in and of itself. I'm not going to go there. But the people of Israel had boldness. They knew what was right and true now. They knew that these prophets were demonically um, influenced and that they, their hearts were hard and leading the nation astray. So God said, put them to death. 
They gathered together. They did that. God gives us sustenance. In verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there's a sound of heavy rain coming. In verse 45, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and the heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Rain meant food and crops, healthy crops. It meant prosperity in the land. God wants to provide for us in answer to prayer. And then, and then God says, when we pray, I'll give you strength, my strength. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, tucking his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Some 30 miles away, Jezreel, Ahab beat the horse and the chariot of King Ahab. That's almost like a marathon. He was given supernatural strength to get to Jezreel. They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. As I conclude, I just want to think of one more question. You might be thinking, I don't know how to pray like Elijah. I'm not a prophet. When I try to pray, it doesn't seem to work like it did for Elijah. How can I pray more effectively? Well, sometimes we try things and we lose heart because it doesn't work out for us. Like when I tried to drive my dad's truck when they were on vacation, my mom and dad, I was home. I was like a junior, senior in high school. And they didn't leave me the car. So I had to take my dad's paint truck, which was a standard. I'd never driven a standard before. I live in a hilly town in western New York. And uh, so I took it out, drove it around, and I learned on my own how to drive a stick shift on a hill like this. You know, with a long traffic behind me, I learned how to not enjoy stick shifts because I was stuck there for like three minutes. I couldn't, I didn't know what to do, let up on the gas, grind the, and there was a whole line of traffic starting to beep, and I thought, okay, that's the last time I'm going to drive a standard. Standard? Yeah, I'm going to drive automatic from here on out. Sometimes we can be like that with prayer. We tried it. It didn't work out. Thank you very much. But this is what someone suggested to do. Prayer is not that difficult. You can do it. Don't give up. Bring, bring to mind something that has blessed you this past week. Um, something large or small. Something that was beyond your expectation. Gently exhale, then inhale, then exhale and say, thank you. Thank you, God. Then think of a problem to be solved or a challenge in your life. Uh, something that is weighing you down. Inhale, and then exhale and say, help me. Or you might think about something that moved you. Like last night when it rained for about a minute and a half. Or... Or the sun set in the sky, what it looked like last night if you happen to be walking around outside. And then inhale and exhale and say, wow. We just prayed three significant prayers. You might be thinking, that's not praying, that's just sighing. And God says, no, I delight in prayers like that. Which leads to the last, uh, make prayer simple. Anne Lamott notes in her book called Help, Thanks, Wow. The three essential prayers can become a part of our everyday blessing and struggles. 
Did you notice Elijah prayed a short prayer in this showdown? 63 words in all compared to the tens of thousands of words uttered by the prophets of Baal all day long. 63 words, and God responded. God's not impressed with our long, complicated, flowery prayers. Billy Graham said, I, usually, I don't usually pray more than five minutes at a time, but seldom does five minutes go by that I don't pray. It's conversational. It's like a conversation you'd have with your walking partner. God's not impressed with the pastoral prayers. We beseech thee, O sovereign one. You know. And then uh, God, and then we could pray God's promises. Um, Eighteen one. As long after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah: Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. God, Elijah had that promise: I will send rain if you go present yourself to King Ahab. He said, "Okay, good is done." Even though the sun was shining after three and a half years of drought, Elijah would bank himself on this promise. He would face the 450 prophets because God said, I will send rain. He also remembered the word of God as written in the law of Moses when Moses and Aaron came out of the tent and fire came down from the presence of the Lord and consumed their burnt offering. And he recalled, hey, if if God did that in the past, he can do it again. So he lived according to the word of God. When I was in my crisis during my sabbatical, I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to do anything. But I had four pages of prayer promises that I had typed up on my computer, printed them out. And every day I prayed through every prayer promise. I prayed personally. There were probably like 60, 70 prayer promises like that. And then I, once I was done with that, I, I, well, I did it every day, actually, but one, I added to it, I began to pray a psalm every day, and I read through the book of Psalms, which are simply prayers, and I made them my own, like Psalm 5, where it says, Give ear, O Lord, give ear to my word, O Lord, um, consider my meditation. And then it goes on to say, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. I will look up in expectation, which leads to the last point. We need to pray with patient expectation. In verse 41 through 44, we read that Elijah, after the showdown, he ran off on his own, climbed a mountain, went into a cave. In verse 44, 43, He said, go and look toward the sun, he told his servant. Or go and look toward the sea. And he went and he looked and there was nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Elijah knew the rain was coming. It was not if, it was when. And when he saw that little piece of evidence, he knew it was, he, it was coming. God gives us evidence. Sometimes there are little clues when we're praying. Um, I didn't know when my crisis would end. I didn't know when I wanted to be around people again. But every day, God would give me a glimpse of something. Like, okay, I'm still with you, John. I'm still with you. I know you can't feel my presence much, but I, I'm, still, I'm still reaching out to you. I'm still ministering to you. I'm still here. And there are too many stories to tell about that. But sometimes we've got to remember God will answer yes immediately when we pray. Yes, I've been waiting for you to pray. 
and boom, we see a miracle. Sometimes the answer is no, I've got a better plan. Sometimes the answer is slow. Sometimes the answer is grow. Sometimes the answer is go. That was another sermon. But consider, God will always answer our prayers. Yes, no, slow, grow, or go. Elijah had to experience slow seven different times. We don't know how long it took for those seven different times sending out a servant. We don't know if that transpired in days or hours. We don't know. But God said he was, he was persevering in prayer. It was slow. But God would answer his prayer in his timing. God is faithful. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto you, and I will look up in expectation. Let's pray right now. Lord, as we conclude this service, I pray that you continue to speak to us by your Spirit. Even as we sing this last song of praise to you, may we be mindful of your presence and that you are a God who provides for us. You are a God who meets us right where we are. God, what a privilege it is to communicate with you and that you will hear us and you will speak back to us in ways that we uh, will be transformational. So, Lord, do that here now. I don't know what's going on in our hearts and minds. We may be burdened. We may be on the mountaintop praising you. Uh, Lord, whatever the case, we pray, God, that you meet us right where we are and that we may know of your presence even during this last worship song. In Christ's name, amen.